0: The first reading is taken from Matthew, chapter five, starting at verse 27, and can be found on page 969 of the Bibles or on the overhead screen, hopefully. (laughs) You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Good
1: morning. Uh, and the second lesson, the reading is taken from first letter of Corinthians, uh, chapter seven, the first seven verses thereof. So verses 1 to 7, on page 1,148. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. This is the word of our Lord. Shall we pray? Heavenly
2: Father, we thank you for scripture. We thank you for the way that the Bible um, moves through the whole breadth of human experience. And that in these passages, we touch on some fundamental and tremendously important experiences um, in a human life. And we ask that you would speak to us today, each one of us, through these words and through your love for us. In our Saviour Jesus, Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I hope you like our his and hers lectern set. Albert Braithwaite always used to say that his wife, Jane, was his better three-quarters. So you can see where the greater load of honor is in our marriage. Well, this is our fourth um, in our series on sexual relationships and identity. And we've finally got to the place where, according to the Bible, good sex can happen in marriage. So it's a bit disappointing to start with Paul telling us how he'd really rather that we weren't married at all. I guess some... Married men might agree with him, but not me, clearly. Well, we'll be hearing more about the gift of singleness next week. But Paul recognises that many, like me, have a different gift to him, the gift of marriage. So the vicar gets the job of talking about good sex in good marriages. Which rather reminds me of the vicar who was asked to give um, the sex education lesson at the local girls' school. Uh, And he was about to write it in his diary and he felt a bit embarrassed writing that in his diary. So he decided instead to write in his diary, talk at girls' school on sailing. He thought that was a little more discreet. And he was quite, you know, he was quite right because his wife did in fact look by chance in his diary and uh, saw that he was giving a talk on sailing to the girls' school. And later that week, she met the head of the girls' school in the shop and uh, the head teacher commended her her husband's uh, fantastic talk at the girls school and she she was astonished she said i can't believe it she said he doesn't know anything about it <laughs> he's only ever done it twice and the second time he did it his hat blew off well God has designed sex as the way in which we could share most powerfully in his, in God's creativity. At its core, sex is a mutual gift in which a man and a woman have the privilege of contributing together to the creation of new life. God decided to make that procreation an act of intense delight, which would join two people emotionally as well as physically. And in his generosity, he allowed that intense physical pleasure to be given and received even when there isn't procreation. But both sex and children join a man and a woman together irrevocably. You can't separate two people who've had sex, especially when the result was the creation together of children, without tearing them apart. So God also decided to protect sex by surrounding it with the most enduring of all relationships. Marriage. One man, one woman, each letting go of their former relationships and cleaving to each other for the rest of their lives. Even today, after six years of sexual revolution, we still find that statistics show that far the most enduring relationship is the marriage relationship, proportionally.
3: As we talk about sex in marriage this morning, we're conscious that a lot of people here aren't currently married. So you might be thinking, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me, but we think it does. You might be married in the future. You might have experienced breakup of marriage in your family. You might like the idea of sex without marriage, or you might even find yourself attracted to somebody who is already married. Many of Paul's observations about sex sound negative, but actually they're boundaries, protecting something that's wonderfully positive.
2: So we want to talk first about the wonderful relationship in which God has chosen to set his beautiful gift of sex. Rachel and I asked each other um, what the power of marriage is for us. What is the treasure that we value, which we want to keep safe? And here are a few that we came up with.
3: I like the fact I can live with someone I can trust. That makes me feel very
2: secure. And we both love the context that marriage gives for us for safe sex, uh, for physically and emotionally safe.
3: We love the foundation that our marriage gives for tackling difficult jobs, undertaking big life goals, and creating an enduring home for our children.
2: So how can a husband and wife flourish together. Well, I think it's a combination of two things. It's building up your love and then it's protecting it with defenses.
3: Last time we spoke on this topic we told you about the five love languages which some of you may have come across in the context of parenting courses as well. So it's a powerful way to build up love through gifts, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service and time and we encourage you as we do today to work out which of those is the most effective way to say I love you to your spouse. Is it spending time together or is it buying the odd small gift or giving affirming words or physical touch or doing something to help? Don't do what makes you feel good, try to work out what makes your spouse feel loved. Spending time together is a really important part of staying in love, especially if you have hectic jobs or are raising children. Having a regular date night might sound a bit icky, but actually it's common sense. You can use your date to talk about what's going on, to catch up with each other, and to practice the five love languages.
2: Well, as we've said, Sex is, uh, sorry, is God's marriage gift to you. But there are a couple of things worth saying about it. And the first is that neither marriage nor sex turn out to be quite like what we see on the movies. (laughs) Sex can can turn out to be harder than we thought. But we can talk about it, what we like and what we dislike, and then put in lots of practice. Well, that's easy to begin with, But after we've known each other a long time, things can start to get in the way. Um, We get tired, we get hassled, and sex can become stale. To begin with, sex seems to come out of nowhere at all. But not lovemaking. Lovemaking only comes from relationship. And after a while, sex begins to need relationship too. So building up your relationship together really helps your sex life as well. Here are a few tips for married couples, especially if you have children. Firstly, make sure that your bedroom is private. Get a lock on the door. (laughs) Secondly, guys, this may come as a bit of a surprise, I know, but apparently rom-coms work better than war movies. I'm just saying. Most of all, revel and delight in each other and perhaps be brave enough to try something new by mutual consent, of course, and not with anybody else.
3: But what if one of you wants more sex than the other? There can be lots of reasons why one of you might find it harder than before. Illness, pregnancy, bereavement, stress, aging, trying for a baby, perhaps you need to offer each other respect. And patience. Of course if you're completely stuck with a physical or emotional dysfunction you may both need to get some help and relate counseling gives confidential and helpful advice on how to deal with such things. There's a true story we read when we were first married which sums it up. A wife had a stroke and one side of her face dropped and her lips changed shape. They didn't seem to be able to kiss in the way they had been able to before. But the husband learned to change the shape of his lips so that they could make the kiss work. If sex is hard for you, you may need to learn how to make it work for you again.
2: Well, there's much more that we could say about building up love. But how do we also protect our relationship, build up our defenses? I guess the first thing for us is an absolute commitment to our marriage vows, including no adultery, as Jesus said. I know that adultery would destroy my life, my children, my ministry, my faith, so I run a mile from it. Which leads to the second thing, I don't play with fire. As Jesus said, if your eye If your eye is leading you into temptation, then it would be better to gouge it out than fall into temptation and go to hell. So, I run a mile. I don't play with fire. And third, I tell Rachel if I ever feel attraction towards another woman. So there's never any secret excitement of hidden feelings. And fourth, I have some guys that I trust enough to hold me to account. Of course, There are a lot of other things that we can do that erode trust and turn love to hate. We talked about good sex being a mutual gift within marriage, unlike rape, which is violently, selfishly taking what's not being offered. As Paul says, a husband's body belongs to his wife just as much as a wife's body belongs to her husband. So neither have the right to take, but both have the duty to offer. In fact, the two are now one body, Paul says, and no one should hurt their own body. Rape, whether outside marriage or in it, is a distortion of God's beautiful gift and is abhorrent to him. God's principle, Paul shows us, is of mutual sacrificial self-offering. But we can abuse this principle in lots of ways, can't we? Ways that hurt and damage one another within marriage. Many of these are now understood as forms of domestic abuse. Its presence in marriage is increasingly being recognized. It could be sexual manipulation which Paul's war- Paul warns against here. It could be violence. It could be financial control. It could be emotional abuse using contempt or blame or false appeals for forgiveness. All of these are un like They deny Christ's kindness His purity his sacrificial compassion they may be hidden from others but Jesus is absolutely clear that nothing is hidden from God
3: so if you are suffering behavior like this whether married or unmarried you must look for help especially if you have children because they too are endangered by domestic abuse there's a lot of support available in the church and from national agencies And there are ways of getting that support which won't compromise you and make you more vulnerable and it doesn't necessarily mean the end of your marriage but abusive behavior must be denied a victim and then confronted so that it can be healed jesus wants to heal and change this as much as other more obvious vices and if we prevent him from confronting and transforming us We reject our salvation and place ourselves in eternal peril.
2: So what if the worst were to happen and you found yourselves affected by adultery? Okay, well, let's assume first that you are the injured party. What can you do? Well, the world assumes that that's it, the party's over, it's the end, it's time to find somebody else. If your spouse has committed adultery that wasn't your choice, but how you respond is your responsibility. Marriage vows aren't like promises. Promises are good for nothing once broken, but vows endure even after they're broken.
3: So how could you respond other than walking away? Well firstly keep hold of hope and stay faithful. Your own unfaithfulness won't mend your partner's. Recognise your responsibility. Your partner's adulterous choice is entirely their responsibility. But have you contributed to the temptation by your behaviour, perhaps by coldness or gambling or workaholism or some other way? If you've driven your spouse away, then perhaps you need to look to repent and change. And start to pray for your spouse, that God will bless them and heal them and restore them. And find somebody to support you and pray with you through this, because it's going to be a really hard time and a real struggle. And set boundaries. Let them know that they can't sleep with you whilst they're sleeping around. They can't have their cake and eat it. And yet be ready to offer forgiveness where God brings repentance. Unforgiveness will destroy you as surely as infidelity.
2: And what if you are the one caught in an adulterous affair? What can you do? Well, firstly, be honest with yourself. Recognise how much you are destroying. Your spouse, your children, your emotions, your ministry, your relationship with God. Don't be fooled. God is very very displeased. Secondly, stop. You can't rebuild your marriage if you won't stop your affair. Repenting isn't just saying sorry, it's changing. Don't ever return to that adulterous relationship. Thirdly, expect anger and don't expect to be trusted. You've just betrayed the deepest trust that your spouse could give to you. You'll have to earn it again, painfully, step by step. Fourthly, build accountable relationships where you can be honest about your struggles and be supported to win through them. Fifthly, don't ever self-justify and blame your partner. It was always only ever your fault, your choice, sorry. Sixthly, work hard to build up the love and respect between you.
3: God invented marriage. He knows love is a tough but wonderful calling. So he gives us the imagination and sometimes just the dogged determination to love successfully and faithfully.
2: Yes, sometimes our love can break down. But remember these four things. Firstly, God still loves you. Secondly, he's ready to forgive you when you acknowledge your fault. Thirdly, Healing is still available for you. And fourthly, he can restore your relationship with him and with one another. That's how God treats us, and it's how we need to treat each other too. Being ready, even after things have gone wrong, to offer love, forgiveness, healing, and restoration.
3: Can we suggest from our own experience that whether to help you build up the foundations of your love for one another or to strengthen your defences, it would be worth you if you're married considering doing the marriage course when it's next available here at church. And we'd also like to offer, um, Mike and I will be over um, to that side of church after the service. If any of you want to come, either on your own or with your partner, um, to, and we will pray for you um, for blessing on your marriage. Don't feel you've got to come if your marriage is in huge danger. Just come anyway. Um, if you've got an opportunity for your marriage to be prayed for, then, then take it up. Our marriages need all the prayer they can get. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for um, the foundations that it gives our communities. Thank you for the marriages we know. Help each of us, Lord, to build up the marriages that we know, whether our own or others, through respect and support (coughs) and honor. Lord, we invite you into all the marriages that are represented here this morning, that you would come in and heal where healing needs to take place, that you would enrich and grow and strengthen our marriages so that they might be a witness to you in the communities in which we live and work.